last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I want to be blown away, Marcus. I'm waiting to be blown away. No one's blowing me away. And strongest hands, wrists, and fingers I've ever seen from a player. And Cortland Sutton, who is as useful as a bag of dicks. And maybe he was kidnapped by wizards or something. And he was at Hogwarts for an extra couple of years because he had to help Hagrid raise dragons. And I'm the podfather, motherfucker. And fuck Bill Belichick. How is it going, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Gunther. Yes, it is not Marcus Moser. Uh, he's probably a little more handsome than I am and a little more knowledgeable. Okay, he's probably better than me, but I am just going to <laughs> slide slide in for the day. I am here, of course, with a very prestigious man in Matt Kelly. Matt, thanks for letting me do this. How are you today? I'm great. You really built me up. While simultaneously tearing yourself down, uh, cheer up, buddy. You're great. <laughs> You're doing a great job already. You're great at fantasy football. You're great at podcasting. You're the host of the Dynasty Happy Hour. So you're a co-host today because you're good at this. So you have your pep talk for the day. I have to like go to work in a little bit, so that's going to boost my spirits. I'm going to be able to to go up and just do my best work. That's right. Yes, you're. We're. I'm energizing you. I'm infusing you with confidence. Now you're energized. We can go out and we can shred this show. We're gonna own this show. The show is your bitch, Tyler. <laughs> you got it. Like just go get it. You know, now, lay brick or whatever people say that are out there. Uh, whatever men say when they're out there getting themselves pumped up. Whatever. We're gonna go out here. We're gonna have a great show. It's it's very interesting to see what's happening right now in the Dynasty League community because I've been trying to change the valuation system on this year's wide receiver class, just sounding the warning bell that this class is not like the wide receiver classes of previous years. It is worse. It should be devalued, and therefore it puts a premium on literally all the other positions in the draft, not just running backs and rookie drafts, which I think are the emphasis, but also it makes quarterbacks more valuable. It should lead Dynasty Leaguers to consider quarterback earlier, and it should lead Dynasty Leaguers to even consider tight end earlier, and we're going to talk about tight ends today. This will be a tight end show. We'll end up talking about a lot of different players and numerous positions throughout this particular show this will be a fun uh, potpourri show an eclectic group of players that we have on the docket to talk about today now i i want to go back to kind of what you're talking about how people are infatuated with wide receivers let's go back in time to 2014 what if that receiving class didn't end up how it was what if that class wasn't as prolific would we be looking at wide receivers in the same light for the past three, four years as we as we have been if that never happened? The existence of that class, and it was great, because it wasn't just that Sammy Watkins did hit, right? See, people think of Sammy Watkins as this bust. He's not a bust. Sammy Watkins was a hit. And then, of course, you have Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans and Allen Robinson having WR1 seasons, but also there's league winner Martavis Bryant. We had Jordan Matthews and, and Dante Moncrief. 
with early career success. Jarvis Landry. On and on and on and on and on. You had wide receivers not only ascending to WR1 and WR2 status, being league winners, but also doing it early on, doing it in their first couple of years. When you go down the list and you think about the season Allen Robinson had as a sophomore, when you think about Odell Beckham Jr. and Mike Evans' career thus far, or even Brandon Cooks, look how productive Brandon Cooks has been in his first four years in the league. Most wide receivers couldn't imagine being that productive that early, and yet that's what we were treated to with this 2014 class. And ever since, Dynasty Leaguers have been chasing. They've been chasing. They've been chasing. And every year, the wide receiver classes just get worse and worse and worse and worse. And this is the bottoming out year. It's going to roar back next year. I mean, if you like rookie wide receivers, don't worry. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine, wide receiver guy. The 2019 class will save you. It's going to be the best wide receiver class since 2014. Don't worry. But you can just wait. You could just wait. Just keep it in your pants. You don't need to whip it out. <laughs> it's too early. Just chill. Just chill. Just relax. Just be cool, buddy. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Draft your running backs this year. Maybe even a tight end. Maybe even quarterback. But just be cool on the wide receivers. They're coming. They're coming, little guy. They're coming, just not this year. Pick your spots, because what if I told you there was only one first-round caliber wide receiver talent in this entire draft class, and he's not being drafted in the first round of Dynasty Rookie Mocks? I mean, this is the opposite world experience of my lifetime, where I'm seeing only wide receivers drafted in the first round that aren't first-round wide receivers, and then there is this wide receiver named DJ Moore being drafted in the second round of Rookie Mocks, who actually is a first-round wide receiver, and my entire skull just caves in on my brain. Yeah, I mean, I, I love DJ Moore. He, I think people are going to be scared off by his size, kind of like the Stefan Diggs. I know they went to the same school, and that's an easy out comp. But is it that far off? I don't think it is. No, he's just Stephon Diggs on steroids. Oh, God, yeah. If you put Stephon Diggs on steroids, that would be DJ Moore. He goes out like Francisco Lindor and gains 30 pounds in the offseason, comes back, Stephon Diggs becomes DJ Moore. That's essentially what Stephon Diggs is. Yeah, and with DJ Moore, I think he's going to... Uh, I think it's going to kind of write itself, and he will end up in a first round. Well, I'm going to do this myself. Yes. Let's be clear about what is going to happen. Matt Kelly is going to put DJ Moore on his shoulders and talk about him on every single Sonic Truth episode between now and the end of May, and he will become a first-round dynasty pick based purely on my willpower. <laughs> that, that Because I'm telling everyone... Put every other receiver out of your mind in the first two rounds. You just need to think about one name in the first two rounds, one name only, DJ Moore. Forget every other name. And I'm going to repeat this on a loop for the next four months, Tyler. That's how we're going to deliver DJ Moore into the first round of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. Yeah! So ruin it for everybody else. I mean, we, we want all the shares of him, so maybe have an episode or two be like, you know, 
I'm not quite sure. And then build it out. Because, I mean, we don't want him nope. to go too high. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope, 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 nope. Matt Kelly as Rodeo Bull. That's what I am. The gate swings open and... <laughs> there's no there's no build up you know i don't take it easy on the rider in the first four seconds oh no oh no we're going 100 percent from the beginning full eight seconds then the beep goes off yeah and if you're still riding on the back then my guess is that you just drafted two running backs in the first two rounds. Now, does does that make everybody else who's not riding the bull the rodeo clowns? Let's be honest. There are a lot of clowns in the Dynasty League echo chamber. That's right. That's what it, it's really what it is. The rider is the listener. I am the bull. And then there are a bunch of clowns trying to distract me, right? Waving their arms saying, no, 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 Cortland Sutton. No, no. Oh, wait, over here. Oh, Calvin Ridley. Oh, 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 oh. And I'm not paying any attention. I'm just kicking and thrashing and kicking and thrashing and kicking and thrashing. This is a great visual, Tyler. You're doing a great job. Did I tell you already? Did I tell you yet that you're doing a great job? The guiding hand of the show and bucking and kicking. And it, so far, this has been an exciting ride. And I credit you. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm already one up in Nate. So, <laughs> well, slow down. I know. Love you, Nate. But, but I'm also hearing. The consensus number one wide receiver never fails. Oh, yeah, the consensus number one wide receiver never fails. So if the consensus number one wide receiver is Cortland Sutton or it's Calvin Ridley, then that's the guy you should draft. I mean, forget DJ Moore, especially if he doesn't have first-round draft capital. You can't be drafting him over the wide receivers with brand equity. And my response to that is, well, do you remember this wide receiver named Laquan Treadwell? Because he was that guy. He was the guy with his name in lights who everyone was drafting, the first wide receiver off the board. And you might say, well, according to the ADP numbers, it was Corey Coleman. What? What leagues were you drafting in? Because in the expert leagues I was in, Laquan Treadwell was coming off the board first. I know there were leagues where Corey Coleman was drafted first, but not the leagues I was in. And even so, Corey Coleman? Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Really? That's the justification for continuing to believe in this this fictional notion of the first round wide receiver savior? <laughs> no. It's over. Yeah, up here in Minnesota. It's over. I mean, how many first round wide receivers have retained their value the last three years? How many? How many? How many have retained their value? I'm not saying have been productive. I'm saying have retained their value from the moment they were drafted in Dynasty Rookie Drafts because you can't even say that about the most productive rookie wide receiver from 2015 on, which is, of course, Amari Cooper. You can't say that. His value has diminished since he was drafted number two overall and in some cases number one overall in Dynasty Rookie Drafts. Would Amari Cooper fetch the 101 or the 102 in Dynasty Rookie Drafts this year? Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis? I think not. I think most dynasty leaguers, if given that choice, would take the pick. Easy. I mean, give away Amari Cooper in exchange for that pick. The only first round wide receiver of the last three years that I believe has increased his value. Think about what I'm about to say, Tyler. This is a stunning revelation. The only wide receiver that I can see, and I'm asking if you can see any others because I've looked through the list of wide receivers, it's Will Fuller. He has accrued value. You can't get Will Fuller for a late first round pick now. Absolutely not. But I challenge you to name one more 
a wide receiver other than Will Fuller drafted in the first round whose value has increased since 2015? I would say Michael Thomas. He was drafted in the second round. What are you talking about? Oh, you're talking first round. Michael Thomas is the wide receiver you would want that was drafted in the last three years, of course. But if we just look at first round wide receivers from the NFL draft and look at where they were taken in dynasty rookie drafts and have any of them other than will fuller gained value no give me one i'm actually having a very difficult time there isn't any there isn't any michael thomas is essentially the equivalent of dj moore because dj moore could be a second round pick and yet ultimately become the best wide receiver of this class but what we're going to be told is draft capital is paramount that we should chase the draft capital, the first-round wide receivers. And the wide receivers that are projected to go in the first round this year, the Calvin Ridleys and the Cortland Suttons and the Christian Kirks, you need to get the fuck out of here with that. Not me. Not me. Not this year. Not me. Not this year. I'm not the mark in the room, Tyler. Are you? I am all aboard James Washington, and I will take him above all the receivers. And that's just because... I hate the height. The people are like, oh, he's 5'10". He, he has pterodactyl wings for arms. That's fine. That's fine. He's my number two receiver. If you're not pushing the button on DJ Moore, you can absolutely build a case for James Washington. But but that's the list. The list starts with DJ Moore. It ends with James Washington. And and, and then that's it. There's no more arguments. I'm, I'm accepting arguments for James Washington, and I'm closing it. Then arguments are closed after that. Good, good. I'm glad we can be on the same page as that. Oh, he was prolific. Yeah, and the funny thing about DJ Moore, you bring him up, he was a guy that was brought up to me by by Travis May, and he says DJ Moore is a guy that I think is going to be a high riser, and I go and watch tape, and I'm just, like, he is the offense. That's all it was. Isn't it crazy? It was crazy. Some of the Some of the routes he ran and the back shoulder throws that he adjusted to were nuts. And I mean, I was I was very impressed. And he is a guy that has risen into, I would say, the mid first round for me. I have James Washington ahead of him. But yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely love James Washington. Well, James Washington is the splash play specialist and DJ Moore is the yak specialist. So really, it's a question of sensibilities. Do you love the yak monster or do you love the splash plays? Either way, you love James Washington and you love DJ Moore. The way James Washington can move ahead of DJ Moore is if James Washington slays the combine. Because if James Washington flashes superior athleticism to DJ Moore at the combine, then then he could be Will Fuller with hands. And if you're telling me I can have Will Fuller with hands in the late first round of a dynasty rookie draft, then I'm all in. Like, that's where you can convince me. If DJ Moore is Stephon Diggs on steroids, then James Washington is Will Fuller with hands. And that's scary because... And both of those prospects are scary good. The problem is they're wide receivers. And the wide receiver generally is more difficult to project. There's just a lot more uncertainty around the career arc of a wide receiver. A, how productive will they ever be? And B, when will they start producing? Because those two questions are more difficult to answer for a wide receiver than a running back, it makes justifying drafting a wide receiver in the first round of a dynasty rookie draft very, very difficult. But it's also about the the composition of your team. And this is very rare that a dynasty owner can say this, but if you consider that first rounder a luxury pick, if you're just stocked 
and you do have a need at wide receiver over running back. It's easier to make a case for adding that additional risk because anytime you draft a wide receiver early, you're taking on a significantly more additional risk. You have to have a juggernaut team already in place with a need at wide receiver to go James Washington or DJ Moore in the first round. And those are just the two wide receivers I'm allowing you to draft in the first round. You consider any other wide receiver, well, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, and another question I want to ask is we all talk about tight ends, how you shouldn't draft them, how you should kind of trade for them in their second season, third season. Our running backs are, like you said, the sure thing, the thing that, you know, gets their value right away. And for wide receivers, name a receiver that you could you could get for, say, a second round. You know, the first round receivers like Corey Coleman, Josh Doxson, Laquan Treadwell, you could get them for a song. And the running backs, you can't. Like, they're hard to get. So maybe receivers were, were leaning more towards the don't draft them but trade for them their second or third year kind of as we look at the tight end. That's right. And that might, might be a very – that could be a great value for your team. And you're still getting a receiver that you like the prospect for. And you still got that stud running back in the first round. It really depends on the draft format. So if I'm in a tight end premium, I would rather draft tight end than a wide receiver if there is one of these truly special elite tight ends available. I'm thinking David Njoku, OJ Howard, or this year, Mark Andrews. Otherwise, if it's traditional scoring for tight ends, then it's very difficult to convince me to use a rookie pick on a tight end. I've never done it. And I can't imagine doing it. But in tight end premium, it's a different story because demand does ramp up, especially for the elite tight ends. And they end up retaining their value because Dynasty Leaguers understand the tight end career arc. They understand that the age apex for the tight end is even later than the wide receiver. So they're willing to give the tight ends the benefit of the doubt the first couple years. This is why Max Williams still has value. (laughs) And Max Williams is still owned in tight end premium leagues because of this understanding. And a David Njoku and an O.J. Howard's value have only risen after they weren't even that productive last year. Njoku and Howard were not that productive yet. Their value has actually risen. They're now harder to get than they were last year. But you can't say the same thing about the wide receivers in that class. I just love the idea of having different league formats, having be joining multiple dynasty leagues in multiple formats. Oh, I completely agree. If you're not in multiple formats, if you don't have a super flex, if you're not in a tight end premium, and if you're not in just a standard PPR, yeah, Debbie, if you're not involved in each and every one of those, like I don't think you quite understand the values of players because it's completely different in every single league. Well, I would put Devi off to the side because I tried Devi and I found it too frustrating <laughs> because I'm just not as well versed on the young college players. And I always felt like I was at a disadvantage to those that are very familiar. And therefore, I became frustrated and felt like it just wasn't for me. So I think that's fine. I don't think yep. anyone should be obliged to go no. and join a Devi league. But there are other formats that you can consider. So, for example, Reality Sports Online offers auction drafts with contracts that mimic real NFL teams. So in this way, that's my heart. Reality Sports Online provides a fantasy football experience that's much closer to the NFL general manager experience. 
So you should go to Reality Sports Online now, and when you sign up for a new league, type in the code UNDERWORLD, and you'll receive a 10% discount on your team or league. I love salary contract leagues. Oh, And the Sonic Truth podcast loves Reality Sports Online for a couple reasons. Number one, they support the show. Right, A lot of you support the show because you're patrons. You go to patreon.com, you type in Podfather, and you support the show. And you make sure this show continues to stay on the air. So we're very grateful to you. The free riders that are not supporting the show on Patreon, we don't appreciate you. We also appreciate the brands that support the show, like Maisie, for example. Big supporters of the Sonic Truth Podcast and now Reality Sports Online. And we're going to be starting a listener league that is free entry with prizes provided by Reality Sports Online and matched by yours truly, the Podfather, every week. I'll be soliciting participants in a Roto Underworld Dynasty startup that will begin after the NFL draft. All you need to do is go to Twitter and tweet at Roto Underworld, hashtag never Josh Allen. Be the first to tweet hashtag never Josh Allen to at Roto Underworld on Twitter, and you will receive free entry into the Sonic Truth Pod Reality Sports Online listener startup. I'm excited. I'm going to be in it because I love auction drafts. I love salary cap based dynasty leagues. So I'm all in on reality sports online. It was the first ever league I actually joined for dynasty. Uh, people are like, you should get into the dynasty. And, you know, usually people go into the snake draft. No, I went just stripped off all my clothes, jumped into a cold pool and Woo! went and went for auction salary contract. I mean, you name it is in this league and oh man, like I, that is what got me hooked. And if you're not playing in one, you need to join one. Missing out. You need to. Missing out. Go now. Reality Sports Online and type in Underworld and get that 10% discount. Hashtag never Josh Allen. Tyler and I are also in a league together. It's called the Ultimate Dynasty Podcast League, and we recently executed a trade, and I want to talk about it with you today. Let me lay it out. All right. I gave up a first rounder this year, the 107, a second rounder next year, Mac Hollins, and received back Adam Thielen, Austin Carr, Ryan Switzer, and a fourth rounder. This trade was initiated by you. You shared with the league that you were interested in dealing Adam Thielen. So explain to me the thought process. Why deal Adam Thielen now? And how did this trade come to be? Well, first of all, before I explain the trade, I love Adam Thielen. Nothing against him. I actually had a five-minute conversation with him during training camp. No. Awesome dude. Yeah. Really? Awesome, awesome dude. Yeah. and He looks awesome. He just looks awesome. He is the most down-to-earth guy in the world. And I, I just walked up to him and I asked him a couple of questions. He said he he has his game and he loves to mix Chris Carter and Randy Moss as two receivers he play, like likes to style his game game for. And Randy Moss? What? Did you question him on that? I hope you challenged him on that. That's, ridic- that's I did. absurd. I did. I, I kind of chuckled. But Chris Adam. Carter, I can see completely. Because, I mean... Oh, yeah. Chris Carter. That's perfect. And... Randy Moss, get the fuck out of here, Thielen. <laughs> and I chatted with him, and he told me where a good burger place was. Yeah, great guy. But Adam Thielen... He was a former high school basketball star. Yeah, and we all know those type of players pan out. One of the first hot takes in show history, Tyler, was that athleticism matters in athletics. 
I was going to say, I mean, if I stepped on a football field, uh, there's no there's no way I'm lasting because I I can only shoot threes. I can't dunk. You can shoot threes. At least you can shoot threes. <laughs> I can't even do that. Not good. I can play okay defense until I face off against anyone athletic. So so you're the scrappy type. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm that guy that's also known as bad. Oh. Well, it's all right. I mean, we don't all, we're not good at everything. Yeah, tennis is my game, Tyler. I, tennis, golf, the country club sports. That's where I excel, as you would expect. You've seen my Twitter avatar. I mean, come on. I'm a golfer, so I'm all for that. All right, so this trade, you gave up a bunch of white wide receivers for draft picks and Mac Hollins. That's what it boiled down to. Pretty much, and it was honestly based off my team build. I was going to rebuild, and the pick you gave, the picks you gave me, actually helped me receive Mike Evans two weeks ago. Right. So I went, I went from rebuilding, kind of ganging picks because I do like the quarterback class, except hashtag never Josh Allen. And I, I do like the running backs. I needed running backs. So I figured with I had three picks and I figured with one of those, I could get, you know, two running backs and a quarterback. And that's a good rebuild. But then, you know, I got Mike Evans. So it completely switched switched around to my team build. But, but, but Mike Evans is great because Mike Evans is young enough that he's a cornerstone piece to build around. Yep. So it helps your team while also being a key part of a rebuild. So if you can get an asset like a Mike Evans, it's the best of both worlds. Oh, yeah. And Adam Thielen helps out your team a ton. I, I don't think Adam Thielen. Win now, baby. I'm winning now. The whole talk about him having a career year, Woo! I don't think is right. Because you all saw the connection that Keenum had with Thielen. And I don't think Keenum's going anywhere. I think he's coming back. And it's good for Thielen. Yeah, Thielen is going to be an 80-catch guy, 1,000 yards, 6 to 10 touchdown type guy year in year out i mean he's 28 he's still in his physical prime great route runner so he could actually very low mileage on those legs and on that body oh yeah and he all he did his first three years was play special teams so like you said he's gonna age well yep I, and i i like the trade for both of us like i said i got mike evans in the long term you got adam thielen who like i said i absolutely love ryan switzer is more than a throw into me well you didn't want to give me switzer I was willing to nuke the deal over Switzer, and you got that impression. So Ryan Switzer was the big negotiating point in that deal. Yep, and my a couple of my buys this offseason, Switzer and Mac Collins, and the fact that I was able to get Mac Collins back kind of helped the helped ease the pain of getting rid of Switzer. Yes, the lubrication. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we lubed up the deal with a little Mac Hollins. Yeah, Mac Hollins looks the part. Mac Hollins is on the right offense. Mac Hollins has high upside, size-adjusted athleticism on a high upside offense, and that's a player that dynasty leaguers are interested in acquiring in the offseason. It makes perfect sense. I just like the slot receiver prototype because I think the NFL is moving in that direction. So anytime I can get an undervalued slot receiver on what I believe will be a relatively prolific offense in the future, I think that the Dallas Cowboys are going to throw more next year. Of course, we know the New Orleans Saints. That's where Austin Carr is, and he could be a starter as early as next year. So if you're an under-the-radar slot receiver with a chance to secure a much bigger role next year for a high-volume pass offense, then I'm interested. I mean, that's the case for going out and acquiring Austin Carr in particular in Dynasty. So this was pretty much the last roster in which I don't 
already have Austin Carr. I've been working overtime to try to get him on every roster, and so this also had the added benefit of allowing me to finally monopolize all the Austin Carr on planet Earth. Yeah, and going back to Austin Carr, you look at the playoff, the last playoff game against the Vikings. He saw playing time, which is very interesting to me. Very interesting. This goes under the radar. It doesn't show up on the stat sheets. Oh, yeah. The fantasy gamer looks at Austin Carr and just sees zeros. That's actually not what happened. The playoffs don't show up on the fantasy projections. Yep. And Willie Sneed, free agent, so he could be gone. Bye. Which opens up a slot Bye. for Austin Carr, who had a magical preseason with the Patriots. So I, he was another guy that was, you, you really went for the heart when you went for Carr and Switzer. I tend to be surgical with my back of the roster players. And that's the beauty of dynasty is that if you put in the work and you do your research and you think critically about all the rosters around the league and how the dominoes could conceivably fall. If you spend the time doing that work, you can mine significant value in the form of throw wins in the offseason. And and that's what I like to do. And another trade that I did in which I did not get throw-ins that I like nearly as much. In that league, I gave up Tyler Eifert, Tyler Croft, the Tylers, Tyler. <laughs> Great name. Jeremy Macklin, who I think is a cut candidate even in the deepest dynasty leagues, and a second rounder for Kenny Galladay, Brian Hill, Jerron Brown, and a fourth rounder. So what did you think of that trade when you saw that trade executed? Well, it is a tight end premium, but Tyler Eifert has a long way to go to see the field again. We are talking back injury after back injury for a guy who is 6'5", 6'6", 250. Terrifying. Yeah, that is very terrifying. And terrifying. I... I think his career is going to end up short, even though I absolutely love Eifert. I loved him out of college. Very skilled tight end. Oh, yeah. Oh, one of the best tight end prospects we've ever seen. Oh, absolutely. In that league, it is tight end premium, and I have Kyle Rudolph and Austin Safarian Jenkins. And I believe in Austin Safarian Jenkins for the long term. I think he's completely turned his life around, and I trust that that is going to stick. Don't ask me why. I just do. I've just been convinced. He used to look puffy. <laughs> he used to look like an alcoholic. Big B sick. Now he looks like he just got back from Survivor. I expect big things from Austin Safarian Jenkins. And if your backup in a tight end premium league is Kyle Rudolph, I think you're doing just fine. Yep. And you look at the other players, the players you got. I mean, Kenny Galladay, up and riser. He had another guy who had a fantastic preseason. The hype was built for him going into the first round of rookie drafts. Brian Hill, who was drafted by the Falcons. What's interesting about Kenny Galladay is he did just enough to validate himself yep. as at least a future starter and future contributor, if not a future star, a future contributor. We know Kenny Galladay will be starting games in the NFL in the future. That much we know from his rookie year. But he didn't do so much in his rookie year that he created this irrational exuberance around him. So it was that sweet spot of rookie year production that Kenny Galladay delivered last year that I like. Same with Chris Godwin. Galladay and Godwin both delivered splash plays and a handful of productive games without over-the-top exuberance around their potential in the years ahead. So that's why I think both Galladay and Godwin are great trade targets right now. Completely agree with Godwin. Oh, love love his prospect in that offense. You got to try to get Godwin. I mean, he's not a throw-in like Austin Carr. No. You got to pay up for Godwin, but now is the time to pay up. Now you can get him for an early second rounder. 
especially if a player slips to the early second round that one of your league mates is enthusiastic about, you might be able to steal Godwin in that particular case. But like Galladay, Chris Godwin has proven he's going to start games in the NFL, and he's going to start games for one of the league's signature high-volume quarterbacks. So (laughs) it's not hard math to do. You need to go get Chris Godwin. Deshaun Jackson can only throttle his production for one more year. And then in year three for Chris Godwin, we all know it's wheels up, but you need to get him now before it becomes super apparent. Because once training camp starts, because once minicamp starts, and he starts flashing in minicamp, and the beat reporters start writing their articles about how Chris Godwin's destined for a breakout year in 2018, the window will close on Godwin. So you have a couple months left. You have a couple months left to get Godwin and to get Galladay and then forget it. Then you have to start offering first rounders and then it becomes less appealing. Yep. With a last name like that, he ain't failing. God plus win equals fantasy championship. Yep. So you would agree for both of those trades, I won both deals, right? <laughs> The first one. Uh, no. Oh, that was a trick question. That was a trick question. You were the other side. That was a trick question. I saw you went to go answer that. Don't worry. Marcus Mosier already answered the first one. He said I won. So anyway, um, the other reason why that's a trick question is because in Dynasty, all trades are win-win. That's another reason I love Dynasty. Different owners trade for different reasons with different roster configurations and with different time horizons in mind. So thinking about dynasty trades in terms of wins and losses is thinking about it backwards. This is why I never tweet hashtag dynasty trades unless it's a joke or unless I'm posting a trade that we talked about on the show, like the hypothetical of Kareem Hunt for Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross. Incidentally, in that hypothetical, which side would you take? Uh, Kareem Hunt. Of course! Of course, because you have a brain that works. Of course, it's Kareem Hunt. Of course. So in that case, when we talk about a hypothetical trade on the show, I will post it to hashtag Dynasty Trades on Twitter and see the reaction. And of course, the majority picked the Kareem Hunt side. I mean, duh. But a shockingly large number of people picked the wide receiver basket. So I don't quite understand that. Understanding the roots of that decision to go with the wide receiver basket, that that will be a rationale that we continue to chase down on this show as the year goes on. But most of the time when you see someone tweet at Dynasty Trades or with hashtag Dynasty Trades, it's because they're showing off. It's because they're insecure and they're just looking for validation that they did a good trade. Did I do a good trade? Huh? Huh? Did I do a good trade? Huh? Huh? Did I do a good trade? Can I have a little treat? Can I have a little treat? Did I do good? Did I do good? Woof! I do good. I do good. Woof, woof. That's all they're looking for. They just want a pat on the head. It's like run your team securely. Run your team with confidence. Don't run to hashtag dynasty trades every time you do a trade and look for validation from the community or to show off and embarrass your competitors. That's not what it's about. Now, a thing I do, I will say about dynasty trades, if you haven't done the trade and you actually are needing help, if you want help about the trade, if you're if it's if it's so close that you're like, I'm not quite sure I need help. That's what it's for. That's what it's for. That's the proper utility. Yep. But you know, that's ten percent oh, yeah. of the tweets to that particular hashtag, right? That's what it was designed for. But this is what happens. This is what happens when a perfectly good tool falls into the wrong hands. 
Good. Evaluate an offer. Bad. Embarrass your league mates. Yeah, and the worst part about that is if you do that, you're pro- you're possibly losing a trade partner because he probably won't trade with you anymore. Oh, well, I was just asking the community what they thought of it. I was just posting it because I thought it was interesting wanted to share. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You thought you won the trade, and you were running a victory lap around your league mate. Don't do that. Now, we talked about tight ends. I have five tight ends I want to talk about today because after that, forget it. I mean, after that, I'm not interested. I have five tight ends for you. I'll give you my top five tight ends, then you give me your top five tight ends, and we'll go from there. How about that? All right. How's that sound? Good. Number one, Mark Andrews, because of course. Dallas Godert. Is that how you pronounce his name? Yep. Godert. Goddard. Dallas Godert. Mike Gusecki. Yeah. Tyler Conklin. Great name. And Ryan Nall. Does that sound right? Yep. Those are my top five. How about you? Right now, Mark Andrews. Because he's awesome. I have Dallas Goddard. Godert. Right with you. Nice. Very nice. Mike Gusecki is the third who I actually have very close up top because I think he is going to be a very good athlete. And when I watch tape on him, he looked like a miniature Gronk to me. I mean, just his build. Get through the list and then we'll talk about the players. All right. Tyler Conklin is probably five for me. And Mike Fulumagali from Wisconsin is four. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So we have some difference of opinion here. I'm glad. Let's just talk about Mark Andrews for a moment. I love Mark Andrews because of how productive he was. Now, his dominator rating, not impressive. 18% dominator rating, 49th percentile. But it was at Oklahoma. It was at Oklahoma in one of the most prolific offenses in college football, piloted by Baker Mayfield. So you're not going to have a high dominator rating at Oklahoma. It's just going to be very difficult, especially if you're a tight end and you have a quarterback that doesn't mind throwing downfield and throwing to all quadrants of the football field. If you're a tight end in that situation, you can't expect to have a high dominator rating. But what Mark Andrews did was post incredible raw counting stats, almost a thousand yards and eight touchdowns. In fact, all three years at Oklahoma, his yards per reception was over 15. And then he decided to come out early because he had nothing left to prove. This is what we love. We love the hyper-productive wide receivers and tight ends who decide to come out early and forego their senior year. He looks to me like a more impressive Hunter Henry. How about you? I would say that's about right in line. Uh, We were talking earlier, and yeah, Hunter Henry is probably his middle ground. He does have higher upside, so I've... Way. Yeah. Way. Yeah, he's way. This was a hilarious offense in Oklahoma. Until you watch Oklahoma, you don't realize how cartoonish it was because you have the undersized quarterback in Baker Mayfield throwing to wide receiver Marquise Brown and wide receiver CeeDee Lamb neither of which weigh more than 175 pounds. One ran routes close to the line of scrimmage, one ran routes downfield, and then you had Mark Andrew running down the seam at 6'5", 255. So it was Baker Mayfield throwing to a bunch of Smurf-wide receivers and Gargamel with wheels going down the middle. It was amazing. I mean, just an, just an amazing... Just, the fact that Baker Mayfield was able to be the best combination we've ever seen in college of production and efficiency with tiny wide receivers speaks to a Baker Mayfield's talent and B Mark Andrews ability. He is one of the tight ends that could probably compete with last year's crop in the Joku Ingram and Howard. He's, he's probably, he's not OJ Howard level or David and Joku level good, but 
he is the one tight end I would consider drafting in this class, especially in a tight end premium league like we're in. Yep. You go late first round, early second round. Once my top running backs are off the board, I'm going to start considering Mark Andrew because I think he's that good, and I think the tight ends retain their value longer than wide receivers because there's this expectation that you need to be patient with wide receivers and let that that tight ends demand your patience that development curve is more elongated than the wide receiver. So they retain their value longer. Now, So for that reason, I'm more excited to draft Mark Andrew over pretty much any of the wide receivers other than DJ Moore and James Washington. It's crazy. But in tight end premium, that's where my head's at. Yeah, tight end premium, it's not that crazy. You're not you're not that crazy, man. It's not that crazy. <laughs> it, it really isn't. I mean, I'm not considering him in traditional scoring. No, of course not. But in tight end premium, absolutely. Now, it's too bad that Dallas Godert already has all the hype around him because he's a small school tight end usually you can get him in the fourth round or in free agency in dynasty leagues and then you can and and and, and so like a John U. Smith or a George Kittle we could get excited about him but because there's so much because the NFL draft analysts have discovered him so early we just have to put him at two but have no expectation of actually drafting him yeah if you if you have Dallas Goddard on your team you probably picked him too early in your rookie draft just because that's the problem I mean you look at his profile and you think like you said fourth fourth rounder free agent he's a South Dakota State uh, jackrabbit but he produced insane numbers over a thousand yards in two seasons I'm not quite sure on the touchdowns but I know he had double digits this past year I want to say 11 maybe if I can remember but he is uber athletic and for his size he's 66260 i want to say is what he weighed in at the senior bowl that is nuts and he can run and he runs good routes the only thing that could elevate him more than what he is now is if he is picked in the first round early second to an offense that he's instantly going to slot in and start like everybody has him oh dallas that could have a good buying opportunity but if he goes to a team where he is starting right away, you're not getting him. If he finds himself in an Evan Ingram situation, then there's no chance. You yep. don't have any chance of getting him. But I'm very excited about him. He's not that far behind Mark Andrew because as a junior, he had even better numbers. As a junior, he had 92 receptions for 1,293 yards and 11 touchdowns. So this guy has been the most productive tight end for two straight seasons at the college level. And he often gets comped to Zach Ertz because he's 6'4 and was super productive at the college level, just like Zach Ertz, super productive at Stanford. But Zach Ertz was 245 at Stanford. This guy's 260. This guy's an exciting tight end prospect. So in tight end premium, if he slips, which he wouldn't, but if he slips, then I would consider him in the third round. Because this guy is also very good. It's just very difficult to get excited about this tight end class on the heels of last year's class. We'll never see a better tight end class than we saw last year. But the two guys at the top of this particular class are high quality tight end prospects. And then I believe there's a gap to the next guy. And then I think there's a significant gap to the next guy on the consensus list, which is Mike Gesicki. But you like him. You think that it's close between Godert and Gesicki. I do. I mean, the numbers aren't there, but you got to remember who was at Penn State. That's the problem. Right? The, the, the thing is, is there is a, a certain player in Penn State that was the offense the whole time. What was his name again? Uh, Barkley, I think. Maybe something yeah. Saquon brought Saquon Saqu- 
Saquon. Is it? Is it a? Was it Saquon Barkley? Something like that. Is it a soft soft K? Saquon. Yeah, Saquon. I don't know. It's something. He unfortunately dominated a significant portion of the opportunity share there in Penn State. But oh well. I mean, what can you do? But Gusecki is going to have the prototypical build. He is built like Thor, but can play, kind of play like Ertz. He's got good hands from what I've watched. He's he's a good route runner, and he profiles as just a typical, like a, a two-way tight end guy who can block and can catch the ball, which means he will probably see the field early. And I, that's what I'm hoping for. He lands in a spot where he can he can surpass a veteran or a kind of middle of the road tight end and become become valuable in year one. Is this a Jake Butt situation? This guy feels very Jake Buddy to me. Why would I draft Mike Gesicki when I can go trade for Jake Butt? That's the thing. I don't think you're gonna have to draft Gesicki unless it's a tight end premium league because I do think. Oh oh oh! Let me be clear. We're only having this conversation in the context of tight end premium. Okay. Now, I would never draft Mike Kiseki in a non-tight end premium league. Now, with Jake Butt, he was a fourth rounder in tight end premiums, and that was with the injury. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But his value has since diminished because he didn't produce at all because he was never healthy, and now he's considered damaged goods. So I'm trying to build the case for getting excited about a guy that has a profile that is pretty prevalent and inexpensive in the league right now. That's a that's a true point. I mean, I, I think his combine will show his athleticism and will get people more excited about him because I do think he's one of the more athletic tight ends in the class. So well, he's six six. Yes. So anytime you're six six and athletic and you can post upper eightieth percentile agility score, Tyler Eifert did this. Austin Zavarian Jenkins did this. So that will be the differentiator for me. If he can go and post an upper percentile agility score at 6'6", then you have my attention. But until then, we wait. Now, Tyler Conklin's interesting, too. I like these small school tight ends. The problem is Tyler Conklin was not this mega producer like Dallas Godert. We're trusting the fact that Tyler Conklin was, wait for it, wait for it. Tyler Conklin was, wait for it, wait for it. You guessed it. A former basketball player. (laughs) Drink. Basketball. I mean, that is the one thing you probably two words. Basketball. Yeah. Uh, I mean, basketball. Six four. Six four. Basketball. Forty. So he's basketball. (laughs) I mean, we could probably just move on. Basketball. Guy. uh, Literally. Basketball. You you draft Tyler Conklin. Type into the the comments. Basketball. Basketball. My number five guy, different than your number five guy, Ryan Nall. The reason I like Ryan Nall is he has a very Charles Clay feel to him. Charles Clay was a running back at Tulsa. Ryan Nall, also a running back, that I project will end up converting to tight end full-time because he's so big. I think he's going to check in at 235, 240. And at that weight, if you're not Derrick Henry, you have to switch to tight end. That's just what you have to do. That's what Charles Clay had to do. He was too big to play running back in the NFL. It's the anti-Jalen Samuel phenomenon. Jalen Samuel was a tight end that I think will convert to running back because of his size. He's under 230. On the flip side, Ryan Nall was a running back who, because he's so big, will ultimately convert to tight end. And if you like the move tight end prototype, often those guys produce earlier than the 260 inline tight end prototype players. Well, 
then I'm interested. Then he's worth a flyer because I really think we could be looking back in five years and Ryan Nall is the next Charles Clay. As we talked about, athleticism matters in athletics. And if you can go out and you can rush for over a thousand yards and you have great hands, if you have the size to play tight end, my guess is you're going to be successful. Yep. And he's a he's a guy that I need to dig more into. I know Yeah. You gotta do your homework if you're gonna come on the Sonic Truth podcast. You have to assume we're going to talk about small school running backs destined to convert to tight end in the NFL. You have to know that, Tyler. I did my I did my homework on Charles Clay back then, but I mean, I need to I need to get deep into Ryan Null. Go deeper. Go deep into Ryan Null. Go deeper, Tyler. Go deeper. That's right. Who do you have at five? Uh, Troy Fumagalli. You know, his Who? story. Fumagalli. Troy Fumagalli. Who? From Wisconsin. He's another guy that you probably are just going to be able to get on free agency later on in a trade. But I like his ability to catch the ball with nine fingers. I mean, if he's able to catch the ball with only nine fingers, imagine if he had another. Oh, no. <laughs> really? So he is the Shaquem Griffin of tight ends? Yes. He's missing an appendage or a limb? Yes. And he's successful anyway? That's amazing. I love this guy. Yeah, his story is going to build him up, but he actually is a good football player. He's I'm sure he is. He, I, the fact he his runs his runs are very good. He's his, he's got great hands. And Wisconsin, that offense is all run. That's all they do is just run, run, run. And he was So you're rationalizing away the lack of production. And he he was pretty much the only receiving option for them in the middle of the field because if they weren't running the ball to Jonathan Taylor, they are passing the ball to Fumagalli. And he also helped create holes for Jonathan Taylor, the reason why that freshman broke out. So he's a guy I'm looking at more deep into the fourth in tight end premium, even a free agent pickup. Kind of maybe, a, I don't think he's going to be quite as hyped as John o. Smith because he had a great combine. But Fumagalli is going to be a guy I'm just going to kind of watch and keep my eye on. That's another interesting compar- comparison point. John o. Smith, a guy that had physical challenges. He had the first degree burns on his face. Yeah. We always root for the guys that have the physical limitations. We root for them to overcome the odds. Now, my honorable mention is Adam Brenneman. I think that he's interesting. Another small school. He's a small school guy, right? Yeah. Another interesting small school guy. Love these small school tight ends. And a guy that I'm dismissing out of hand, just forget about him, Hayden Hurst. Why? He's 25 years old. I mean, get out of here with the 25-year-old rookies. Just say no to 25-year-old rookies. Now, I have a question for you. Yeah. Who's the best buy wide receiver and running back right now? Because on previous shows, I talked about I'm buying Duke Johnson. Wherever Duke Johnson is, I want Duke Johnson. You got to get Duke Johnson in the event that the Cleveland Browns don't draft Saquon Barkley. The assumption is the Browns draft Saquon Barkley. But if they don't draft Saquon Barkley and they let Isaiah Crowell go, Duke Johnson becomes the de facto workhorse back in Cleveland and could be unlocked and become a top 10 running back in the NFL and you can get him and he's only 24 years old and you don't need to give up a first round rookie pick to get him in dynasty leagues and with the wide receivers I'm trading for the guys with the lost 2017 seasons Cameron Meredith Quincy Anunua Quincy Anunua is even less expensive right now than Cameron Meredith and we expect the New York Jets to either sign to either sign Sam Bradford Kirk Cousins A.J. McCarron, or draft a, draft a quarterback, very well could be Baker Mayfield. So a quarterback upgrade is on the horizon in New York, and Robbie Anderson 
was arrested this offseason. And if Quincy Nwok can come back healthy, he's their number one wide receiver. I, I like that buy. Who do you got? Uh, mine are Corey Clement from Philadelphia. I mean, JHI's knees, we all talk about that. That's been the story. But Corey Clement, I felt like I played Ajayi at points, and especially in the passing game. Everybody had Wendell Smallwood coming in as a receiving back. Corey Clement, I think, has solidified himself as that passing down back there, which is nuts. Copying him, you know, going back to his college days, nobody thought that happened. But I love him as a buy, and I actually would probably go for a third round this year's rookie pick easily for Clement. My wide receiver, Carlos Henderson. Don't say it. Carlos Henderson. He was my other guy. <laughs> I was going to mention him along with Cameron Meredith and Quincy Inunua. I just ran out of breath. Carl I've talked about yeah. him on this show recently. I love Carlos Henderson. I love acquiring the under-the-radar players with lost seasons who project to receive significant target shares next year. Carlos Henderson is a slot receiver who projects to be a starter, assuming Emmanuel Sanders is not brought back. And the Denver Broncos are starting to run up against salary cap limitations. And like Jeremy Macklin was released by the Chiefs last year, I expect Emmanuel Sanders to be released by the Broncos this year, paving the way for Carlos Henderson to be the starter next season. That is a great call. Very smart, Tyler. Very smart. Wholeheartedly approve 100 out of 100 score on your best buy wide receivers in the offseason. The, the thing with him is the hype was strong in, in his field. Very strong, yes. He was going 112 in rookie drafts, like the earlier rookie. And that... No one remembers that now. That's, that's ancient history at this point. And his combine was great. His agility score was great. I mean, this guy is the equivalent of a slot receiver. He is the NFL's next generation slot receiver. That's what he is. And that's what we want. Yep. That's actually what you want in today's NFL. Now, speaking of the slot receivers, there were a handful of wide receivers on the last show that I recorded with Marcus Mosier that I did not have a chance to talk about just because we were combining lists. And there's one significant error slash omission from the last show. And I want to publicly apologize to Jordan Lastly that I did not mention him as one of my top 10 wide receivers. We will be releasing our rookie rankings on playerprofiler.com shortly. And trust me, Jordan Lastly will be in the top 10 because he was a major conference wide receiver who had the second highest dominator rating among Power 5 conference wide receivers. So, of course... If you have a 40-plus dominator rating in only nine games, we prorate. But if you have a high dominator rating in a year in which very few wide receivers are dominant, of course, you're going to be in the top 10. Also, Jordan Lastly is interesting because he looks like a normal receiver. This is a strange wide—this is a bizarre wide receiver class in that physically— the receivers exist on the outer bounds of the BMI spectrum. You have DJ Moore, who has the highest BMI of any wide receiver we've ever seen. So he broke our BMI metric for wide receivers. And then you have this cluster of Equinemius St. Browns that are on the low end of the BMI under the fifth percentile. So it's all these super svelte fifth percentile BMI wide receivers on one side. DJ Moore on the other side of the seesaw. And, and there's Jordan Lastly in the crux, just one of the few normal-looking wide receivers. So you're normal, and you dominate. I'm sold! Yeah, and he was Rosen's favorite target. He had a little off-the-field issues and uh, some injuries, but yeah, I mean, 6'1", 209, and if... 
Norm. Yeah, when you watch him on tape, he's electric. He is a number one athletically gifted receiver. He's a much safer bet than most of the other wide receivers in this class. There's also some interesting wide receivers that we didn't get a chance to talk about last week. One of them, Richie James. What do you think about Richie James? Tiny. <laughs> That's the first word that comes to mind. So small. He's a super tiny dude. Like five, five, six, five, seven, maybe is what he'll he'll go in as. If they can use him But very explosive. If a team can use him like a Tariq Cohen, then I'm sold. But if they go full on Tavon Austin trying to just use him like they shouldn't. Ah, you think they can move Richie James to running back? That's interesting. I think he could do exactly what Cohen did. He could play a little bit of running back. He can play slot. Wow. He's just an athlete that they need to get the ball into his hands. And I love that in a player. What about Byron Pringle? Because Byron Pringle is old. So he's the Kenny Galladay, Cooper Cup of this draft class. He's now 24 years old, but his dominator rating was well above average, 37.7%. And the yards per reception was Philip Dorsett-esque, 24.1 yards per reception. It's just the breakout age and the age at draft is so late that you can't justify putting Byron Pringle in your top 12, but the other numbers are incredibly intriguing. He he could be a down-the-field threat, but I, I want to see what he could run. He, Like you said, he's an older guy, and those type of players worry me, except the Anthony Miller types that you, you feel are ready for the NFL. Anthony Miller does fit that Cooper Cup prototype well. Absolutely. Now, for, for Pringle, I, I would, if we're in the season of gaming comps, Jerron Brown type, type of player, a guy that has some athleticism, has a build of a wide receiver, but you just think needs to make his way up the depth chart. He's a guy that's going to need to earn it. He's a guy that hasn't been really talked about, might be a free agent, brought in, maybe a practice squad guy for a couple years. And which is. Reminds me a lot of Robbie Anderson. Yes. Robbie Anderson was dominant at Temple, but but not in a prolific offense and therefore went under the radar because he didn't pop in the counting stat categories. And even though he ran a sub 4-4 at his pro day, still went undrafted. So if Pringle could run a 4-4, he can be the next Robbie Anderson. And I'm interested. If he's fast, I'm very, very intrigued. I, I guess you could say Pringle needs a pop. <laughs> And once Pringle pops, <laughs> the fun you can't the stop. Fun don't stop. You can't stop drafting Pringle in Dynasty Leagues if he pops. I also want to issue an apology to Justin Jackson. Two shows ago, talking with Ryan Lopes about running backs. Lots of questions coming in on Twitter after I didn't include Justin Jackson in the top 12 running backs on my show with Ryan Lopes. And that was just a clerical error. Of course, I like Justin Jackson. I went to Northwestern, for Christ's sake. Justin Jackson rushed for over 1,000 yards every single year. He has, he has a season with over 40 receptions on his resume. So, of course, of course, I like Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson embodies the type of, the, the, the precise type of running back 
that I adore. And if I were an NFL general manager, I would be looking to acquire someone like Justin Jackson. So absolutely, I have him right there with Naheem Hines and Ito Smith as one of the better satellite backs in this class. And because Ito Smith wasn't invited to the combine, you have to expect Justin Jackson to get drafted rounds before those running backs. Even if it's the fifth round, I would still rather have him over small school running backs that get drafted in the fifth round or beyond. So for that reason, once it all shakes out, Expect Justin Jackson to crack our top 10. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. So in his case, which is unique in this class, he's the most draft capital dependent running back in this class for me. Justin Jackson in the third round versus Justin Jackson in the fifth round is a chasm of value to me. That'll make all the difference. If he goes in the third round, he'll supplant Karrion Johnson, potentially Royce Freeman on my rankings. But if he doesn't get drafted until the fifth round, then you have to draft grinders like a Karrion Johnson, like a Royce Freeman that get drafted higher and have more certain opportunity as rookies. So I like Justin Jackson in the bottom of my top 10, but I can't know where to put him until the NFL draft. Yeah, I'm right with you on Justin Jackson. He's a guy that just produced. He, he just produced. That's all he did Yeah. in a Big Ten conference. I mean, what more could he have done? That's my question, Tyler. You, you tell me. What more could he have done? Nothing. This is frustrating to me because if there was consensus building that he's going to be drafted in the top 100 picks, then fine. Then fine. Then I'll just slot him in right there with Mark Walton. Fine. Good. Cool. But I'm not getting that sense no. from the NFL draft analysis community. And because of that, I can't get as excited about Justin Jackson as I am about Mark Walton, for example. What about a crumb Wadley? You're excited about this guy, right? I am. I, I think he he fell out of grace too early with the Senior Bowl. Everybody saw that, what was it, 173 he weighed in at? And just the fear of Donnell Pumphrey. It, it might have been like 180, but everybody has Donnell Pumphrey in the back of their mind. Why not Tariq Cohen in the back of their mind? It's because Tariq Cohen is maybe a different build, but Wadley is a different player than than any of those guys. Abram Wadley is a very electric and is a guy that can actually run between the tackles. If you watch his Iowa tape, which I have seen plenty of Wadley, he's a guy that is able to do everything. He may be on the smaller side, but I do think he will be in the 190, 90s for the combine, and that will actually help him. What happened? Did he have like a hookworm parasite? What happened? I just think... Diarrhea? It could be. It's flu season, so you never know. How did he lose all this weight? I had him at 190. Yeah. It, I had him as one of the better satellite backs in this class. 36 receptions as a junior. This is a guy we like. He's right there. Again, right after Naheem Hines and right after Justin Jackson, you have to slot in a Crum Wadley. What's going on with the weight, man? Because I'm with you. Because I agree. 175 is not good. That gets scary. It could have been 180, but that's not even much better. So I would, I would like to see his weight at the combine, but I do think he's a guy that has proven he can succeed. His his practices in the Senior Bowl weren't that great, but during the game, he showed up. The, he had a great game, and people and scouts were very impressed by his game. He is not a pass blocker, and I don't think he ever will be, of course. He's a satellite back, which is a guy who's going to be asked to run routes when he's on the field. So that is a player that produces fantasy points. And I don't think I don't know if you're in a league for pass protection for points per pass protection. What? Points per pass pass protection? Why would I be in a league with points per pass protection? Exactly. There isn't anything like that. So <laughs> right, the okay. pass the pass catchers 
are what we want. Another guy that's interesting is Roy Laurie. I went to the data analysis tool, playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis, pulled the dominator ratings for the 2018 class. And when I sorted it, Ray Laurie showed up near the top because he only played in eight games last year. He's not someone NFL draft analysts are talking about, but NFL scouts like him. They invited him to the combine for a reason. As a freshman, he posted close to 1,000 yards and 16 touchdowns. He also has a 21 reception season on his resume. He doesn't look great. He, like many of these other backs, is undersized, but he's 5'10", 200. He's not 5'8", 180. So he, like a lot of these running backs, has a chance to be a productive satellite back depending on the situation. So there's a lot of these satellite backs where, like Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson being the best of them, where they're very difficult to value until we see where they land. You land on a team like Washington that already has Chris Thompson, you're worthless. You have no role. Forget it. Or you land with a team with a every-down workhorse like a Todd Gurley, forget it. Just cross them off the list. Don't bother drafting them. That's fine. But if they land on a team that does not have a satellite back, then we're interested. And that even goes for teams like San Diego. Because no one believes that Melvin Gordon is a true every-down bell cow. Melvin Gordon has been significantly targeted in the passing game the last couple years, but not because he's efficient, because he's the only running back on the depth chart. And we saw what happened. Austin Eckelar gets in the game and starts commanding targets at a much higher rate. So there are a number of depth charts where these satellite backs can land and their value will pop. It's not just a Crum Wadley. It's Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay had a 53-catch season. It's Larry Rose. Larry Rose had a 55-catch season. The NFL is changing. They're targeting running backs at a much higher rate than ever before. Offensive coordinators know this. The word is going up the chain to the general managers. Get us a Chris Thompson-level satellite back. Give us a guy that caught 50 passes in college last year. We need a space back who can be active in the passing game so we can deploy our running backs based on situation to exploit defenses. This is where the NFL is going. Kyle Shanahan does not want to target Carlos fucking Hyde 80 times anymore. And he tried targeting Matt Breida, but he had the lowest catch rate among qualified running backs. So Kyle Shanahan needs one of these satellite backs. He needs a Philip Lindsay. He needs a Larry Rose. And boy, would it feel good to get Northwestern Wildcat Justin Jackson on the San Francisco 49ers. To get Northwestern Wildcat Justin Jackson on the San Francisco 49ers.
That's probably the shot. My son went down right away, so it worked out. I mean, it's crazy how fast they go to sleep when you use a little chloroform. <laughs> Love it. Okay, Derrick Henry falls to the second round, you know, as a pure grinder. But a lot of these versatile guys will end up moving up into that Camara second, third round zone. And there ends up being a lot of those guys in this draft. If Akram Wadley, if he goes into the combine and he is, I'd say, a buck 90, I think he could go second round just for his his receiving ability, how he can probably play on special teams. I, I think he could be a fast riser that... Running back targets are way up. Just as much Tariq Cohen as it is Alvin Kamara, where people are like, oh, wow, this is a real valuable piece. And I think that's going to trickle down into the draft capital. I think that's going to start affecting draft capital, where more offensive coordinators are going to go to their GM and say, hey, we need running backs. I want to call more plays that feature the running back. We need a running back with this skill set. Look what Chris Thompson did last year. Let me pull up some tape on Chris Thompson. Let me pull up some tape on Alvin Kamara, right? And then it's like, we don't have any guys like that. And this draft class is stocked with guys like that. I mean, obviously, Naheem Hines. We already talked about him in another show, though. I mean, there's so many. And Richie James is a guy that I think people are starting to catch on. I love how you have Charles Clay because I was going to bring him up with uh, Jalen Samuels, how they're kind of very similar so yeah, this Mark Andrew man, what a what a stud. I'm trying to find receivers I'd like better than him, and it's hard. He was a receiver before he he switched to kind of a, a slot, big tight end type guy. If you watch him on tape, there's a lot of plays where you're like, wow, he's Jason Witten in his prime. He was right there with Marquise Brown in terms of being Baker Mayfield's leading receiver. So they talk about Baker Mayfield's size. Look at these receivers. He was out there with Smurfs. Baker Mayfield was out there with Smurfs. He was doing what he did. He was the most prolific college quarterback ever with Smurfs. I mean, Case Keenum's most prolific college quarterback ever, but the most productive plus efficient quarterback. If you combine production and efficiency, then no one has ever done what Baker Mayfield did. The Keenum comp is very fair. Man, have you read Keenum's story about after his horrific injury i think his senior year like he just went into deep depression lost i think he said 30 pounds and his high school head coach had like talked to him every day and pretty much said i'm done with you if you're not going to pick yourself up he's like i'm done he's like it pretty much told keenum the man up he did oh yeah we love him up here in minnesota that's why i would not be shocked if we were kind of like okay cousins would be better better quarterback for us but keenum will be cheaper and we can put stuff elsewhere if one's twice as expensive that doesn't really make sense a very prestigious man in matt kelly you're gonna be fine wide receiver guy you could just wait just keep it in your pants you don't need to whip it out it's too early just chill just chill just relax just be cool buddy be cool be cool be cool a very prestigious man in Matt Kelly. Let's be clear about what is going to happen. Matt Kelly is going to put DJ Moore on his shoulders and talk about him on every single Sonic Truth episode between now and the end of May, and he will become a first-round dynasty pick. Stefan Diggs on steroids. 
a very prestigious man in Matt Kelly. Nope, 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 nope. Matt Kelly as Rodeo Bull. That's what I am. The gate swings open and... There's no build up. I don't take it easy on the rider in the first four seconds. Oh no! Oh no! We're going 100% from the beginning. Full eight seconds. A very prestigious man in Matt Kelly. There are a lot of clowns in the Dynasty League echo chamber, right? Waving their arms saying, no, 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 Cortland Sutton, no, no. Oh, wait, over here. Oh, Calvin Ridley. Oh, 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 oh. A very prestigious man in Matt Kelly. Not me, not this year. Not me, not this year. I'm not the mark in the room, Tyler, are you? My problem with Larry Rose is like, I can't get past his name is Larry. It's gonna be hard for me to get past Larry, although Larry Fitzgerald is quite good, and we don't think of Larry Fitzgerald as a Larry, and we didn't think of Larry Johnson as a Larry. You think about that, Todd, Todd Gurley. Like, that's his first name, Todd. That's not a manly name. No one believes Todd's a manly name. There's not an ounce of masculinity in the name Todd, and yet the name Todd Gurley strikes you as masculine somehow, even though his last name's Gurley. His first name's Todd, his last name's Gurley, and we think of him as being masculine. This is a guy whose actions have overcome his name like no other athlete in the history of sports. A very prestigious man in Matt Kelly. So you're normal and you dominate. I'm sold! I guess you could say Pringle needs a pop. You can't stop drafting Pringle in Dynasty Leagues if he pops. What was his name again? Uh, Barkley, I think. Maybe. Yeah. I am the bull. This guy feels very Jake Buddy to me. That's a that's a true point. I feel like I'm already one up in Nate. Slow down. Or this year, Mark Andrew. Or is it Mark Andrews? Mark Andrews, I think. Or this year, Mark Andrews. Randy Moss, get the fuck out of here, Thielen. The free riders that are not supporting the show on Patreon, we don't appreciate you. I feel like I'm already one up in Nate. Slow down. I'm that guy that's also known as Bad. The Tylers. Tyler. Great name. Yes, the lubrication. God plus win equals fantasy championship. I feel like I'm already one up in Nate. Slow down. In that hypothetical, which side would you take? Sorry, my wife texted me. <laughs> I didn't hear the question. That's going in the outtakes, and you should be embarrassed. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame her. Well, you should be embarrassed for blaming your wife, so now you're doubly embarrassed. Just take the L yourself. Be accountable, Tyler. We ask these football players to be accountable. You need to be accountable on the Sonic Truth podcast. Tyler Conklin. Great name. Because you have a brain that works. Of course it's Kareem Hunt. Of course. You have to know that, Tyler. I did my I did my homework on Charles Clay back then, but I mean. Who's the guy with one hand? The defensive end? UCF one hand. I'm going to type in UCF one hand into Google. Points per pass protection. What? A former basketball player. 
Diarrhea? <laughs>